Okay, we're going to talk, uh, we're talking today about restoration, and we've been talking about revelation, renewal, and restoration, and uh, we're going to talk about restoration today, and as we talk about restoration, this, this really kind of is a, um, it's a, it's kind of a big topic. Now, what's interesting, uh, the word restoration you'll only find in the scripture really in one place, the English word restoration. If, for instance, if you have a, a New King James translation, Acts uh, 3.21, let's, let's go there to Acts 3.21 and read the scripture. Acts 3.21 says, Whom heaven, this is speaking of Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Well, let's read that in context, okay? Paul said, I'm, uh, Peter is speaking here, and uh, this is on the day of Pentecost. And let's, let's go to verse 19. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Uh, if, depending on what translation you have, you might have a word there. It's not restoration. It may say reconstitution um, until the reconstitution or the restitution uh, of all things. But the thought is uh, restoration. That word means that. It, it carries that meaning, that connotation. Now this kind of gives us a, a big picture view of what restoration is about. I don't really want to talk to you about the big picture view today. I want to bring this word restoration down uh, to more of a micro level and talk about uh, how it applies in our life. But I do think it's important for us to understand kind of a big picture. You guys, sometimes we, we can't properly understand uh, at a micro level, if we don't understand the big picture, right? It, it, we might be focused in on, on, on one thing, but if we don't really understand the context of that thing that we're focused in on, we, we can misunderstand it, we can misinterpret it. And so, I want to talk just for a little bit, and you guys know when I say just for a little bit, it'll probably take the rest of our time. In the next week, we're going to have to really get into the details of restoration, okay? But... I guess what I want to do just briefly is I want to tell you what, what restoration is not. So, um, restoration, for instance, a lot of times you hear, um, you hear it said that God's going to restore all things and we're going to go back to the way it was in the Garden of Eden. Well, that's kind of true in a sense, but not really, because... We're not going back to a, an old restored creation. I live in an old house that was restored, okay? I live in an old house that was built somewhere around 1930, 1925, uh, and I restored it. But it's still the old house, right? 
the, the original studs are in the wall, the original joists are in the ceiling, the original beams are underneath it. It's got some new stuff added to it where we fixed it, where we restored it. But it's, it's an old house that's been restored. So what I want you to understand about restoration, when, when the Bible talks about our salvation and we're saved, God's not taking an old thing and adding something new to it and restoring it like we did my house. As a matter of fact, God gets rid of the old and he makes all things new. How do we know that, that that is true? Well, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So let's let the Bible define our terms for us, okay? This is why we have to be careful because a lot of people talk about Jesus, for instance. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, that's fine. I believe in Jesus too. So we both believe in Jesus. Well, who is Jesus to you? And you find out real quick that we believe in the same name, but it's not the same person. Because to, to some people, Jesus was a great prophet. He was a great man, but he wasn't divine or he wasn't the son of God. Or maybe he's the spirit brother of Lucifer and he's just like you and I. He just ascended to this great place and became who he was because he worked really hard and was very spiritual. No. So how do we understand who Jesus is? We understand who Jesus is by how the scripture defines him and reveals his identity to us. He is the divine son of God. He is God incarnate. He is the second person of the Godhead. He is the one by whom, for whom, and through whom all things were created, the Scripture says. And so we need to let the Scripture define our terms. So we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for instance. And we understand something very important and very fundamental about the work of redemption. The work of salvation. What did Christ do when he died on that cross, when he was buried, and when he was resurrected in life and in power? And when he ascended to the Father? What in the world did Jesus accomplish at the cross? Did he just make it possible for all of our old houses to be restored? He did much, much more than that. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's begin in verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know Him thus no longer. We don't know Christ according to the flesh any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have been restored and made almost like brand new. No, that's not what it says. Old things have what? Passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, when I was born again, I looked in the mirror and I looked the same way too, right? Except I had hair back then. But... 
But I was the same person, right? I mean, I, my, my body was the same. My facial features were the same. So for all practical purposes, when I looked in the mirror, it didn't look like anything had happened outwardly. But So how do I reconcile this Scripture? Because the Scripture clearly says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Well, the only way we can really understand that is by, that's why I started in verse 16. We regard no man now according to the flesh. What is this flesh? Well, Paul says it's a tent that's perishing. Or he says it's a jar of clay that contains something excellent. So it's kind of like your water bottle. You don't have your water bottle just for the air that's inside. You have your water bottle for the water that's inside, right? You buy one of those little plastic, you know, Everlife or Dasani or whatever brand you drink of water, you don't drink the water and then collect the plastic bottles, at least I hope you don't, (laughs) because you bought the water, you bought the bottle with the water in it for what was inside, right? It's what's inside the jar, it's what's inside the tent, God doesn't know us according to the flesh. Why? Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's going to pass away. We went to the funeral service of Cheryl Staten yesterday. Cheryl and Cliff Staten. Cliff was the founding pastor of this church back in 1977. And yesterday, his lovely wife went home. Uh, or we, she went home Wednesday to be with the Lord. And you know there was her body in that casket. And then we took her to the cemetery there in Cameron, and she was interned, or she was put in the ground. And there was this seed of her body that was planted in the ground. And that's exactly the way Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. It's exactly the way Jesus talked about it. He said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it falls to the ground and if it dies, it produces what? Much fruit. And so... You know, I always liken that to a seed we're planting in the ground. And one day God's going to cause all of those gardens that we call cemeteries to just sprout with new life because He's going to cause that body that was sowed in corruption to be raised in incorruption. He's going to cause that body that was sowed in mortality to be raised in immortality. But He also says in this very book that we just quoted from, 2 Corinthians He says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, our bodies right now don't go to be present with the Lord. Our spirit goes to be present with the Lord. So, who am I? Well, my body is the housing for my spirit. My fellowship with God really is in the spirit. Now, I'm a real person got a physical body. But this is a jar, it's a tent that contains the reality of who I am, a new creation. So what was the old that passed away? It was the old me, it was the old me, the spiritual me that was dead and separated and corrupted. God makes us brand new in Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand what restoration. So where are we headed to? We sang a song today, I am bound for promised land. This is why the Bible speaks of a new creation. I mean, right now, if you are in Christ, you are right now a new creation. Right now, 
The reality of your life in Christ is the old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're living on an earth that will be made new one day. I, I can't tell you exactly what that's going to look like. I don't know how to describe that to you, but I'm telling you what, we're not just going back to the garden as it was in the beginning. We're going to experience and live in something that is new. It's going to be this earth. You guys realize that, that ultimately we're not going to live in a place called heaven. We're going to rule and reign with him on this earth. I mean, heaven and earth are going to be made one. And we're going to rule and reign. We're going to live on a real earth. But it's not going to be exactly like this. It's going to be... It's just going to be beyond description. I think this is why Paul says, man, I was carried away to the third heaven and I saw things and heard things that are inexpressible. I can't describe to you. I had an aunt who had a near-death experience. It was, I wish I had the time to tell you. Uh, it, it was phenomenal. And, and she said, I can't describe to you in human terms what I saw. I can't describe the colors. I can't describe the sounds. I can't describe to you. There are no words to describe what I saw other than it was beautiful. It was wonderful. It's indescribable. How is the earth going to be when God makes it all new? It's going to be indescribable. <laughs> but it's going to be new. So when we talk about restoration, I want you to understand what we're bound for, what God is going to ultimately work in the consummation of all things is not just taking an old thing and making it better. He is going to make it all brand new, just like you are in Christ. You are a new creation. So that's kind of this big picture thing. I want you to really kind of understand. We're not going backwards. We're going Ahead to something. This is why Jesus is called the last Adam. And he's also called the second man. Adam was put away at the cross. Now we are conformed to the image of the second man. Jesus Christ. So when you're born again. This is the way Paul writes it in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God. So whose life do you have now, Christian? You have the life of Christ. Whose identity are you known by in the Father? You're known by the identity of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Because you are a member of His body. So let's talk about restoration not making the old better, but we are moving toward something that's not old. We're moving toward something that is new. It's already, God's already started the process. That's why we can, that's why Paul says you are. If any man is in Christ, he is, not will be one day, but is a new creation. Amen? All right, so let's go, let's go to the book of Ephesians. So as we talk about restoration, I want you to especially 
be mindful of the concept that we are one. I know that, you know, I'm not, this isn't about a song or, you know, I'm not talking about just something cheesy here. We are one. The Bible says we are one. We're one in Christ. We're one body, many members who are what? Finding life in one body. So I want you to think about this fact that we are one body with one life. So it's like our physical bodies. Spiritually, we're many members joined together as one body with one life. And, and whose life is it? It's the life of the Son of God. And He is also called what? The head of the body. So from Him, this is where life flows. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's, let's begin in verse 1, okay? Ephesians 4, verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now pay attention to what he writes here. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? Christ came to us. This is the difference between Christianity and and really every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world is is giving you a system, if we can just say this, a ladder for you to climb your way up to God. And if if you reach Him, good for you. If not, well, maybe you get to come back and try again. But but you're going to keep coming back and trying again until you climb the ladder and finally get to the ultimate. The difference with Christianity is... God knew that man would never be able to attain to what he required. And so what did he do? Say, too bad? No, he said, I will send my son. And Christ, the Son of God, descended and came to us. We won't read it, but read Philippians chapter 2, uh, in, in, in starting in verse 5, and read about what Christ did. He humbled himself, became obedient even to the point of death, took on flesh, became human, and died on our behalf. And so he descended to the earth. And then in verse 11, Paul describes these gifts that Jesus gave to men, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now that doesn't describe all the gifts. We know in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about spiritual gifts. In Romans, it talks about spiritual gifts, okay? But Paul is talking specifically here about the body. 
and what is supposed to be happening with the body. Well, why did Christ give these gifts? He gave these gifts for the equipping, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or complete man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up. So let's, let's take that, that phrase out of there that we should no longer be children, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things. What does God want us to do? He wants us to grow up. Parents, what do you want your children to do? You want your children to what? You want them to grow up to maturity. And so this is what God wants for His children. But speaking the truth in love, that we would grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. Who is the head? Christ is the head. Who is the body? We are the body. Christ is the head. Is the body joined to the head? Better be, right? Or it's not alive. The body or the head's not going to... Listen, this, this, is, this is the expression of life. Bodies and heads are joined together. They make one life, right? I mean, Paul is being really practical here. He's using a picture that's just hard for us to misinterpret. And he's doing that on purpose. Now, why do you think God created the human body the way he did? Do you think Paul goes, man, I've got a great idea. You know what? I think I'm going to use the human body as an example to help these believers understand their salvation. Now, I think Paul understood at a much deeper level. I think he understood that God created the human body the way he did because even the human body is a picture of our salvation in Christ. God, do you realize that God could have made us any way he wanted? He could have given us two heads, three heads, four heads, five heads. He could, have, he could have made us any way He wanted to make us, but He made us the way He made us because even the very creation, even the very way that we are designed declares the glory of God. It declares the salvation of God. It declares our salvation in Christ. So Christ is the head. Look at verse 16. From whom? From Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. For the building up of itself in love. Go over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Verse 4. Romans 12, 4. For as we have many members in one body. How many bodies? One body. But all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given let us to us that given i'm sorry 
Having then gifts differing according to grace that is given to us, let us use them. So, you know, we could go into a whole thing about spiritual gifts, but let's, let's just keep it really practical here. Would you, would you agree with me that my hand has a gift that my foot doesn't have? I would. I can do a lot of things with my hand that I cannot do with my feet. But I can also say there's a lot of things I do with my feet that I can't do with my hands. I can't walk on my hands. Now, I know some people can, but I cannot walk on my hands. I can walk on my feet pretty good, okay? I mean, I fall down sometimes. I'm not the most graceful person in the world, but I, generally I can walk on my feet pretty good. But I'm telling you what, if I had to walk on my hands, man, you just, you just wouldn't want that, you know? I'd be breaking things all the time. But, but what I realize is this, my hands are not gifted for me to walk on. My feet are gifted for me to walk on. So I use my feet for what they're gifted to do. And I use my hands for what they're gifted to do. And I don't mix the two. But I understand this, that my hands couldn't do even a fraction of the things they're able to do if my feet weren't doing what they were supposed to do. I mean, if my feet didn't carry my hands over to where I could nail a nail into the wall or wrench a wrench or do whatever with me, it's open the refrigerator and find something to eat, you know? I mean, the body works together. It functions as one. And what fun would it be if I had feet and hands that worked really good, but I didn't have a mouth that could receive all the good food that I want to eat? I mean, what a bummer would that be? We go to the Super Bowl party tonight, we all have feet and hands, but we don't have any mouths. And we've got all this food there to eat, but we can't eat it because there are no mouths. And what if we were all mouths, but we had no feet or no hands, and we couldn't even get to the food that was there? To 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is exactly what Paul is saying to the body. How does it all work? It all works because we are all one. Because we're joined together. We function together as a body. So what in the world does this have to do with restoration? Because I'm going to tell you, revelation, renewal, and restoration are all linked together. Because I'm talking to you about our life in Christ. I'm talking to you about how we function together as a body. So let's go back to a real practical example. Of, of restoration. Our bodies experience restoration constantly in, in a sense that we commonly understand it. So, how many of you have ever cut your finger? Okay. What happens to that cut? A normal, healthy body, that cut does what? It heals, right? Your body has been given the power to restore itself. So the cut heals and your body is restored back again to what it was. That word in Acts, that's really what that word means. It means to again back, to set in order. If we took the Greek word in its actual order, it's two words put together, and it means back again to set in order. So what's happening? What's happening right now is Jesus has ascended to the throne and He is there with the Father until when? Peter says, until, until all things are back again set in order. 
Well, what's that going to look like? Well, it's really kind of beyond our comprehension, but here's one thing we know. I read this scripture yesterday at the funeral. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So ultimately, what we know is when, when God back again sets in order all things according to what the prophets have told us, we know one thing that's going to look like is there will be no death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The fact that death is not destroyed now, does that mean that things are not being set back again in order? Absolutely not. How do we know that? How do we know, Pastor Jeff, that that we're moving toward that? Well, let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Now, you know where I'm going here because I I read the scripture to you guys. I think I read it to you last week, but I'm going to read it to you again. I'm going to be like the Apostle Paul. For me to say the same thing to you again might be tedious for you, but it's profitable for you because you need to know what the truth is. Why? Because the world around you is lying to you. The world around you is telling you one thing and God has declared another thing. And if we're not careful, we're going to believe what we see instead of what God has declared. If we're not careful, we're going to walk by sight instead of walking by faith in the Son of God. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, You have put all things in subjection under His feet, for that in that He put all things in subjection under Him. He left nothing that is not put under Him. But now we do not yet see all things put under Him, but we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, might taste Death for everyone. And you know what happened when Jesus tasted death? He overcame it. See, if Jesus just died on a cross, and he had the best intentions of the world, but all he did was die on a cross, well, thank you, Jesus, but you really didn't accomplish much if you don't resurrect from the tomb. So when we talk about the cross... We can't talk about the cross apart from the resurrection. When we talk about the resurrection, we can't talk about the resurrection apart from the cross. There is no resurrection without the cross, and there is no cross without the resurrection. Jesus went to the cross. He went with the purpose of dying, but not just to die. He went with the purpose to overcome death. And we know that death has been put under Him, though it has not yet been destroyed but it has been overcome. Your body, my body may die because death has not been destroyed yet, but death has no power over us. Oh, it might have power over my physical body. My jar of clay may pass away. My tent may perish, but the new creation Created in the image of Him who created Him. That will never pass away. It can never pass away. Why? Because it has been given eternal, not temporary life. Not real, 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 real long life. But eternal life. What does eternal mean? Does 
eternity have an end? No. We've been given eternal life in the Son. Death has no power. It has no hope on us. It does not. And one day, in a new creation, one day, when the consummation of all things has taken place, there will be no death. It will be destroyed. That is beyond our comprehension. But that is the truth. That is the hope. That is the promise. Yesterday, as we, as we celebrated Cheryl Staten's life, there was sadness, and rightfully so. There was mourning, and rightfully so. Because there is a real separation that death brings to us in this physical realm. But death cannot separate us from the love of God. Death cannot separate us from the one who is our life. That is Christ. It can't do it. And the reason it can't is because Christ, who is our life, overcame death. He overcame death. And he lives forevermore. So as we talk about restoration, we're going to now take restoration to a level that speaks to our relationships with one another, our relationship with God, our relationship with the world. Why do we need restoration? I'm telling you what, you need, we need restoration constantly the, the, the same way we would. I mean, whether you realize it or not, I mean, if you guys cook and you're chopping something in your kitchen, you cut your finger, you know you've cut your finger. But do you realize, this is something Dr. Larry taught us, there are gamma rays, there's all kinds of things that we can't see, that we can't perceive, that are just bombarding us. So if, if we could just see at an extreme micro level, we would see that there are these, this radiation is just like going through us and, and making holes in us. At an extreme micro le- level. But you know what's happening at the same time? There's restoration taking place. Our body's restoring itself. Now, it's kind of a losing battle. That's why today I have no hair, but if you'd have known me 20 years ago, I had lots of hair. Or if I did have hair, you would see that it would be probably more gray than not. Why? Because my tent is perishing. It's just a fact of life. My tent's perishing, so today... When I play flag football with you guys, you'll probably catch me. Because I can't run as fast as I used to. Now, if we were playing tackle, I'd have a better chance. Because I'm pretty hard to bring down. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If you guys want to take me on... Now, George? You know, Spencer said, Spencer said, George is playing. I ain't playing. I said, Spencer, we're playing flag. We're not playing tackle. <laughs> We're winding down in our physical bodies, but our spirit, man. This is what Paul said, hey, this earthly tent is perishing, but our, our inner man is being renewed day by day. This is the restoration I'm talking about. Restoration on a physical, emotional, and a spiritual level. We are a body. How is my body able to heal itself? Because it's a body, because it's connected together, sharing together, functioning together. So when I cut my finger, it heals in time because my body is doing what it's supposed to do. 
on a level spiritually. This is what we're to do with one another. This is why we assemble together to provoke one another to love and good works, to consider one another. Because we bring healing to one another. We bring restoration to one another. We can give a word of encouragement. We can just, maybe there are no words that we can say, but we can just, you know, put an arm around you and hug you and say, man, I love you, or man, I'm praying for you. I mean, it can be just the smallest things that can bring restoration to our life. But we need to understand that we are called a body. We're called to be a body. We're called to be joined to one another in Christ for the purpose of restoration. And so next week, we're going we're gonna to go there and we're going to talk about restoration in those terms. Amen? All right. Let's all stand. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just ask God to uh, bless the food and thank God for the food that's going to be next door. And please, 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 uh, I just really want you to know that you're so welcome, and we've prepared lots of food, and there's more than enough food for everyone here. We would love to just uh, have everyone stay in fellowship with us and have lunch together. You say, man, I didn't bring any money, I don't have any cash, I don't have a checkbook, that's okay. Please stay and eat anyway. God always has a way of making up the difference and providing. This isn't about making money. This is about fellowship and being a blessing, okay? Praise God. Father, we just thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for your word that, Lord Jesus, you said, heaven and earth would pass away, but my words would never pass away. And God, I pray that as we've read your word, as we've heard your word, as we've spoken your word today, Lord, as we've talked about salvation in Christ and what you have done for us, how you have brought a restoration, that you have brought a newness, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Lord, that is only possible by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, it's as simple and as practical, Lord, as being hungry. Lord, if we're hungry, we go and we eat. Father, I pray today if there is, Lord, anyone in this place, and then we say, I'm hungry for Jesus. And I would say, then go and eat. Go and partake. Because God has given you that hunger so that He can fill you. And Father, I pray that you would. That you would cause us to be hungry for you for your kingdom, for your righteousness. And out of that hunger and out of that thirsting, God, that you would fill us. I pray, Father, that you would, by your Spirit, do a work of grace. God, you would take your gospel and you would, by the power of God, transform us. That you would reveal yourself to us, that you would renew us, you would restore us, God. We thank you for that, that promise, that assurance that we have in Christ. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us and through us. And we invite you, God, to do a work of transformation in our lives. Work in us and work through us for your glory, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
Uh, Father, we thank you for the food that's been prepared next door. We just thank you for all the hands that worked very hard to prepare that food. Lord, we will partake of this meal knowing that, Lord, you are the giver of every good thing. And we thank you, God, for providing the food. And Lord, the resources and the people that made it possible for all of this food to come to our table today. We give you thanks for this daily bread that you have provided, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you're here and you have a question about anything I've talked about, about a scripture, about a thought, please, I would love to talk with you. If you've got something you would like to pray about, maybe you have a need in your life, I would love to pray with you, talk with you. Uh, I hope you all go next door and, and have lunch with us. If there's anyone here that would like prayer, or like to visit or discuss anything, please, please, let's do that. Amen. God bless you.